Hello everyone, Carter here, bringing you another episode of Out of the Hourglass presented by Nolan Consulting Group, a podcast dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop their teams, and build sustainable growth so that business operations don't run solely through them. We want to get business owners out of the hourglass. On today's episode, Molly and Colin Nolan team up to discuss hiring a new sales rep. We know that hiring the right person can seem difficult, but that should never stop you from doing your best to pursue the right people. This is the time of year where many of you are looking to hire new sales reps in anticipation for an upcoming busy season. Colin will walk you through the types of behaviors and profiles that make a great sales rep, as well as some proven strategies to implement during the hiring process to ensure you end up with the right person. Thanks for listening, and as always, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Enjoy the show. Awesome, Carter. Thank you for that intro. Colin, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm excited to have you today for a new episode. We haven't connected since SL2, which was gosh, a good couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, so I'm happy to have you here today, Colin, uh, because we're going to talk about a topic that I think is relevant for a lot of business owners out there, as well as managers, and that is growing the team. Mm-hmm. Building your team, filling the roles in your company is a theme that, you know, as coaches and as a larger NCG team, we've talked about making a focus on throughout this year all encompassing from understanding when is the right time to bring on a certain position, the ideal candidate profile, the onboarding culture, expectations, and so forth. So this podcast theme actually allows us to draw a parallel to the implementation ladder, which is one of the resources that we utilize in step with client coaching. And Colin, you could probably speak to that. You look at the implementation ladder with a lot of your your clients, and it helps you kind of in step understand when you're going to be hitting which particular system or process. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a great kind of rough roadmap to where a lot of people want to go, right? Exactly. And so on that ladder, the implementation of new roles kind of fits within the rungs representing different points of the growth plan. And these roles include hiring of a sales rep, an operations manager, a bookkeeper, HR, a second sales rep, and so forth. So when is the right time to be adding these positions, expanding the team? So today we are starting with the sales department and specifically hiring your first sales rep. So this conversation will precede future conversations on hiring a second sales rep, a sales manager, and so on. So Colin, let's get to it. When mm-hmm. is the right time or when is it time to think about hiring a sales rep? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. It's not a super simple answer, unfortunately, right? Um, so there's the right time in terms of season. There's also the right time in terms of your mindset. So from a seasonality standpoint, you know, we always love to do it in the January, February, March timeframe. Um, someone's coming on during the slow time, typically the slow season, if you have seasonality and you're able to spend more time working on the business and doing things like right. training a new sales rep, right? And at that point, they're ready to, uh, hit the ground running come April, May, when the leads really start flowing. Um, so that that's the ideal time uh, to bring one on. But you, it's important that the you know, you know a lot of owners they they say they want a sales rep or they say they want to have different positions um, hired in their company. Um, it, it's a difference between knowing that that's going to benefit you and actually being able to let go. Sales mm-hmm. is a very personal uh, role by a lot of owners are reluctant to let go. I remember 
I had uh, Kevin on one of my mastermind groups and he was talking about how he, he had a really hard time letting go of it because it, it gives you the sense that you're actually doing something that day. You know, you've accomplished something, you've made the sale. It's kind of, it helps to increase your self-worth. A lot of people like going out and meeting prospective clients. So it can be difficult to, to make that change mentally. Um, but as, as Kevin said in, in our group call, that was the best thing he ever did tire sales rep and a lot of owners out there who were thinking about it, I would echo that uh, to you. Um, taking that uh, task-based role, because it is a task-based role, right? Right. Out of your hands uh, into someone who's probably better at it than you are. A lot of owners Which are not great. the best sales reps. Yeah. Um, owners aren't the best sales reps. Now they have a, a unique ability to do it, right? A lot of customers love to buy from the owner because it feels like there's a personal touch to it. You don't have to call headquarters and ask, you know, can I wiggle the price down? Um, so it, there's an there's a inherent advantage to sell when you're the owner. Um, but, you know, from a, a profile standpoint, from a, I need to make the sale to pay my mortgage standpoint, uh, to I need to hit this goal because people are holding me accountable to it standpoint, it's obviously they tend not to be the best um, sales reps. Uh, so, get, so get someone in there who is better at it, who, who can do the behaviors that are required because I'm sorry, you're not, you're not doing them. And there's also, um, well, there's also a million other things that as a business owner, you are should more or, or more important need to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so as much as you maybe want to hold on to that, where are you, where are you actually needed? Uh, so it's, it's the separation of that role. Like your, your role now changes when you bring on a sales rep. You maybe right. you're still doing a little bit of sales yourself, but the majority of the sales for the company are now the responsibility of the rep you've now hired. Right. And to, to tie it into uh, a previous podcast that we did and another a series going on, the time span series, yes. um, it, it is kind of a level one role sales rep. You're very much living in the day to day. Now, uh, you could convince me and Andrew might, might, might argue that there maybe are level two because they're thinking they got to hit their month quota, right? Or their monthly sales goal. But they're very much living in the day-to-day. -day. It's a very task-based role. Uh, so, so someone who is a business owner who's thinking more, who's more often in the level two, level three, or four time span zone, it's, it's not the best use of your time. That's a really good, a really good connection. So out, outside of the, the mental capacity, being able to let go, being able and, and acknowledging that it's time to bring on someone who can take a, a strong focus on sales, and allow you to do other things. Is there an average revenue size in which stems mm -hmm. the need for a hire where the, just the owner doing the sales himself just no longer can do what needs to be done each day? Sure. Um, it, this, this part is definitely different. Uh, the answer is different rather based off of um, your average job size, right. based off of uh, the location where you are, the cost of living, right? Selling a million dollars in the uh, suburbs of New York is different than selling that in Oklahoma, right? It's a, it's a different cost of living, uh, different job size average. So um, the, the average does seem to be around the 750 to a million dollar mark. That's pretty much where the owner operator uh, needs to, if you're gonna get past that level, you can't really be running the field, doing the sales, running the company. Um, now you could be sustainable. You could be doing a million dollars a year. You could be, uh, doing all the sales for the company, you could be running the field, but you, there's no growth mm. there. Um, you could do that if you know, you know, uh, my, these guys have worked for me for 20 years. I know all, I know my whole field. They don't take much management. I have a lot of recurring customers, so you could do it at that level. But 
if you want to grow uh, and you're looking to hit 1.5, 2 million, 3 million, um, the 750 to $1 million mark is typically where you would want to bring on that sales rep position. Yeah. So it's, this is really the pivot of, do you want to maintain and stay where you're at or do you want to grow? Sure. And it comes back to uh, the, their vision as it so often does with right. us, right? Um, what, what is the desired future state for your company, for your day-to-day? Uh, at, at what point? So, so that will tell you if you need sales reps, right? And then from there, it's about when's the right time, typically around this $750,000 mark, maybe even less in some cases. If you need to spend your time on recruiting, implementing learning pathways, training a field supervisor, that's more of your where you need to be than a sales rep would be really, really beneficial there. All right. So let's say a business owner decides it's time. I need, I'm going to, I need to hire my first sales rep. Uh, I want to do it around, quite frankly, this time of year, we're recording this in January. Where do they begin? Who, who are they looking for? What kind of person are we looking to bring in as a candidate for this position? So you should always be recruiting for sales reps, just kind of flat out, always. Okay. Um, you should always have people who you're, who you're keeping an eye on. You know, this person has displayed, you know, the right, uh, profile that I would want in this role. I like them and that's at the right time, but you kind of keep them on the bench, right? Farm team. Uh, so mm-hmm. all, you should always have people in mind, right? Cause sales is one of those positions where there could be turnover or as you grow, you need more and more of them. So you should always be looking for sales reps and what you're looking for, you know, the, as far as disc goes, um, it's the classic high D high I, which, you know, people who work with us, uh, and, and have had disc reviews know, right. That's, that's the prototypical disc profile. Um, but I, I think what's more important, frankly, than the behavioral profile is the motivators. Uh, okay. cause there are a lot of sales reps that are not high D's, uh, or not high I's that have been successful. Um, I don't think we spend enough time on the drivers and what drives someone, right. Cause get just for to step into the disc world for a second, the behaviors are how we act, right? It's how we simply put how we behave. So, and for someone not entirely familiar, can you give just a quick 10 second, what's a high D, what's a high I, what what, what defines that? High D, someone who's very competitive, someone who doesn't really have a filter, someone who is very determined. Um, They call the elephant in the room while everyone else is kind of staring at it, right? That's, That's the high D. The high eye is the people person where networking events are their Disney world. They love meeting new friends, influencing people. So you couple those two together, someone who loves to meet people, who likes to be people's friends uh, with someone who is determined to make the sale. You have a good behavioral profile for a sales rep, right? Thank you. Um, yeah. But um, that's how we behave, how we get things done through our, is through our behaviors, right? So I accomplish my goals through winning friends and influencing people or through being determined and competitive, right? That's what, what the behavioral DI would uh, says. But what do people want? What's their motivators? So mm-hmm. I, I have found that to be the more unifying uh, factor is that people who are in sales need to have uh, typically a higher utilitarian and individualistic uh, motivators. Now that's the old motivators that we used to use. Now they've they changed it recently within the last year. Now it will be a high resourceful and a high commanding. So these are people who, so let's take the utilitarian and the resourceful one first. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are people who are driven by, for 
maximize time and maximize money. That's what they're driven by. They have almost like a ticking clock in their head, an internal ROI. Every second I put towards something, I need to see a return on this, right? They don't like it when their time is wasted. They are driven to do things that they think there'll be a benefit to them, to, to the, the bottom dollar. So when you have someone who's high resourceful in a sales role, they are driven to change behavior if they think it will help them to make more money, right? So I'm driven to hit my goal because when I hit my goal, I get a bonus. Okay. So I'm going to exhibit the behaviors needed to be successful in this role as a result. So they're the both aware, one, they're aware of the, the behaviors and they're willing to adapt to those behaviors to make it happen. Yeah, they're, you know, the behaviors are, are, the, are the tool to get things done. But the motivators uh, and the, dri the driving, driving uh, forces are like, what do we want to get done, right? What we want to get done is to make money and to use my time efficiently. I'm going to do that in sales by being determined, by asking tough questions, by winning friends and influencing people, right? Um, because behaviors are like a Swiss army knife. You're going to have, everyone has a default behavioral style that they're comfortable with, but you can change it, right? Uh, well, you can't really change what, what you want. Um, so then, then the next one uh, besides utilitarian and resourceful is the individualistic, uh, now called high commanding um, driving force. So this is someone who is driven not by money, but by recognition, by power, by achieving. So they want to be seen as a winner. They care about being seen that way. They care about how they're perceived. They may not take a job because it's the highest paying job in the world, but because they have um, influence and are seen as someone in a, a highest need position, right? So think, think politicians, politicians, you know, I, at least, you know, back in, back in the day, you didn't make a lot of money from politics. George Washington was famously, he was, he was very rich on paper with all his land, but um, he really was, did not have a whole lot, lot of money, but he did this stuff obviously from a sense of duty, but likely, but also because he probably had high commanding. He enjoyed the power aspect, right? As most people Got do. Um, so they're, they're different, the, the power and money in that sense. So in, in a sales role, someone who is commanding benefits them because they want to be seen as someone who hits their goals. They want to be seen as a winner who is a great sales rep. Um, and that can, it's a powerful driver. It's going to impact your behaviors to do the right behaviors in order to get the sale. Um, so you couple those two together, someone who is high resourceful, driven by time and money, someone who is high commanding, driven by recognition, praise, status. You're going to get someone who's driven by the right things to sell and hit, hit their quotas. Just even, you know, listening to you talk about those qualities, those behaviors and motivators, I'd have to think that people listening can pinpoint at least one or two people that they know exhibit those qualities. Yes, that's sure. what, that that's why that person is good at sales. That's why that or that person was actually making really good sales because they've I've seen them exhibit those behaviors in other settings. Because it's not it's not just in their role they exhibit those behaviors. It's who they are, kind of through and through. Yeah, they gotta um, they gotta have it right. So Kevin said again, going back to this this um, meeting that we had, he said. When a sales rep comes into the room, I gotta, I gotta like that they're there. They gotta be people I wanna be around because they're, they're selling me something, right? They're, they first need to sell themselves. If they can't sell themselves, I don't like being around them. And how are they gonna sell my product, right? So when a sales rep comes to, to your door, comes to your office, it's gotta be, yo, hey, how you doing? You gotta enjoy the fact that, they, that they're paying you a visit, right? 
that's kind of a kind of a, more of a gut thing than a very right. highly analytical, resourceful, commanding type, type of way of looking at it, right? Um, but they, they kind of just got to have to have it, that factor. Um, and that's something that you can see a lot in the interview process mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're hiring one, right? Like, if it's not an absolute yes, it's an absolute no. A lot of people have heard that before when it comes to, to recruiting and hiring. But with sales, I think that's even more, like, if they can't sell you on them in the interview process, then what, what are they going to sell? I, like, what's more important than that? Such a good point. I mean, from from the very beginning, from the phone screen into the interview, one, you should be able to hear their the, the should be able to hear their expression through the phone uh, that that at least gets them into the door for the interview. You know, it's mm-hmm. that the phrase, "Can you hear the smile behind the phone?" You a, a sale a, a good salesperson, you're able to hear their expressions when you talk Absolutely. to them. Absolutely, and I even in the interview process, I even like. Um, purposefully not calling someone back uh, in sales uh, to check in on their, how, how do they follow up? Or are they, they dogged in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Do they, do they, uh, do they want it bad enough to go after it? Cause that's how they're going to, there's going to be a lot of customers who don't follow up with them. True. Right? So if you have two or three sales reps, who you, you might want to bring on and you don't know which one you like more, that could be a way of filtering it through. Okay. So we've laid out, you know, the profile of the candidate that we're looking for. Uh, what are we looking for in terms of um, experience as we're looking at people kind of come through? Um, what red flags are we looking for that's like, that's a no? Yeah, so, so sales experience is certainly more important than trade experience. It's much easier mm-hmm. to train someone on whatever trade it is they'll be selling than it is to um, change someone into a good sales rep who's not. Um, now, sales can be trained, right? All sales reps at one point, all the, all the best sales reps at one point had no experience in sales, right? So um, I'm, that's not even really a requisite for me either that they have experience in sales. Um, Interesting. If, if they are, if they're young, they don't have sales experience, but they're passionate about like, this is what I want to do, um, then they need to exhibit the right, I, I would rely on disc more in that case. Do they have the, the drivers? Can they sell me on the fact that they are in love with this role, with this idea? Why do you want it? Um, and then bringing them on around for a ride along and seeing the, how they interact with the customer. Are they asking uh, their direct questions, right? You kind of get a sense for, are these people built for sales or not that way? So I experience is great. You know, you, it'd be great if someone came to us with 10 years of sales experience in the exact trade we're looking for and they're only leaving because their other company sold, whatever, right? That's the ideal. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's the, the, the dream world there. Uh, so what you really want to look for someone who has sales experience, has proven in the past that they can change behavior to hit a goal. That's one of my favorite interview questions with sales. Tell me a time where you change your behaviors to hit a goal. So it's Friday, the 30th of the month, and tomorrow's 31st, Saturday, last day of the month, I'm 10,000 behind on my goal. Normally on a Saturday, I would go play golf, go for a run, spend time with family in the afternoon. But I need to change my behaviors on this Saturday because I need to hit this goal. So I'm going to spend my morning instead of Hitting the links, I'm going to be dialing up past customers. I'm going to be dialing up people who told me no. I'm going to hit this sales goal this month. That's what you want. 
of a sales rep, right? Got it. Change of behavior. So if, if someone has sales experience and they're, they sit, they're good at sales, they will likely have a story like that. Maybe not that exact story, of course, but tell me a time where you've changed how you've acted in order to hit a goal with a time constraint. Um, Brian always likes to say that he wants to see trophies. Tell, show me your trophies. What wins do you have, right? Um, when were you ever the best at something? When did you win something? Because that's kind of what you want out of a sales rep, someone who's got mm -hmm. that competitive fire, someone who has that commanding driver that we talked about earlier, right? That's kind of the proof of it. The, the show me the, the how your commanding has displayed itself in, in your in your real in, in the real world. So that's kind of what 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 we look for. Um, as far as red flags go, someone who doesn't have trophies is a bit of a red flag. If they've been, you know, if they're a more experienced individual, um, it's not their first job or second job, right? You should have some trophies. Um, right. So if someone doesn't have a lot of job history length, as, as with any position you're hiring, right? If they jump around a lot, that's a red flag. Uh, I'm big on references. If somebody can't give me a past supervisor as a reference, uh, I'm a little concerned around that. Um, so those, those are really the only real red flags for me, uh, assuming that this person is coming from some sort of sales background, um, mm -hmm. has proven they've hit goals in the past, um, I, I really want to see a reference. I want to see job stability, all that kind of kind of stuff. Awesome. So we've got got the profile. We have some concept of who we're looking for, what kind of behaviors, uh, references, job history. Uh, let's say you find someone. You find someone that we think hits hits those qualifications. You've done the ride along. Uh, you're looking at potentially making an offer. And maybe before, I guess it could, it could depend, maybe before you're even making an offer, you're talking about setting the goals and expectations for this person in their first year, you know, what you're looking at at this position. Now that can certainly change between residential and commercial, but talk to me a little bit about that. When should that conversation happen? What should it look like? Uh, are they responsible for generating a percentage of the leads? Now, again, that depends upon biz dev versus being fed the leads from a resi residential perspective. Uh, but when should you be having that goals and expectations conversation? Well, that I mean that's that should be in the mix from the very beginning. Um, okay. Sales sales is a very unique role in business. It's a, typically a very high paid role, right? There are some sales reps who might make more than the owner of the company, but it's also a role where you are earning your supper every month. You're expected to hit your goals every month. If someone's not hitting their goals or their KPIs for a month or two straight, we got problems, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it, it really should go without saying, you are expected to hit your goals in sales um, because you are paid well, uh, and that's what we expect out of you. Um, so I think setting of goals, having those clear expectations should be a part of the interview process from the very beginning. You don't, I mean, this needs to be a fit for both parties Right. This person needs to know what they're getting into. They need to know what's expected of them. Um, I, I would be extremely transparent around that, um, and and to let them know it's a very you know, you, you know you are judged upon behaviors. Uh, results don't always reflect good behaviors, but at some point they should. Law of large numbers. And if you're not hitting your your numbers several months in a row, then we got a problem. 
In regards to setting of the goals, now again, this will change based upon the vision of the company and the company's growth plans. Um, you know, let's say you're hiring a younger sales rep who doesn't have a whole lot of experience. What's a typical yearly revenue goal that you're seeing young sales reps go after versus hiring somebody who's been in sales for, you know, eight, 10 years, maybe expected to come on and hit this number that, that greatly changes based upon experience and what, what, how people have kind of learned over time. Yeah. Um, again, this, it's tough because it depends on what you're selling, right? Um, if you're more of a business development in the commercial world, you might not hit, make a lot of sales in the first couple of months because it's all relationship building to start off with, right? But if you're in residential sales with a small average job size, you should be hitting numbers off the, from, from the get-go. You know, the million dollar mark is always talked about um, within, you know, the first two years, I would want to see someone selling close to a million dollars if it's that residential, um, small job size, a lot, lot of job type, mm -hmm. type scenario. Um, but the goals should be reasonable and it really comes down to the cookbook, the sales cookbook that you should be utilizing, right? So take your average job size, take the number of estimates or leads someone's going on and take the, their goal close rate. And that's going to spit out what their sales numbers should be. Um, that's, that's what, what how I would, I would go about establishing that what is what's reasonable to expect in terms of number of estimates they're going on in a month. What should their close rate be depending on the history of the company and what other sales reps are closing, whether it was their first year or um, some, something like that. And then um, what is the average job size? And th those are numbers that should be available to most business owners uh, in order to, to get that first year goal. So what I'm hearing is there's no there's no blanket answer for that. It is it is no, in, in, intricate? It depends on, on the trade. Yeah. yeah, it depends. It really depends on on the trade. It depends on the um, the life cycle of a job. Is it is it a uh, quick sale, slow sale? Right. It really depends on all that. But I, I would refer back to your cookbook. Uh, work with your business coach around what what's reasonable. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I would fall back on. Now that brings me to my next question. You've set the goals, the expectations are aligned. Now we talk compensation, paper performance. Mm -hmm. It's all tied mm -hmm. together. Like you said a few minutes ago, you're working for your dinner every month. You're working for your supper every month. So how are we tying in compensation plans uh, to the setting of the goals? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of ways to, to go about compensation. There's no real wrong answer here. Um, so the traditional way of doing it is a is a base plus commission structure, right? So you're getting a reasonable base, maybe a lower base with commission on top. So you know, 30 something thousand dollars, four to five percent commission on revenue, right? It's kind of the, the tried and true method. Um but I don't I don't love that way anymore. That's definitely more of an old school way. Um the next iteration of that is a, a base plus percentage of gross profit compensation model, which mm -hmm. a lot of people use, that that, that allows for uh, assuring that the rep is not selling jobs at a discounted rate um, just to hit the volume mark, 
right? That protects the field a little bit more. Right. There needs to be a level of gross profit there uh, in order for them to make the commission. Um, another way is um, what, what people are starting to do is a, is a higher base to start, which helps in the recruiting aspect, right? And then mm -hmm. giving a bonus, a monthly bonus based off of the different metrics you want them to hit. So that could be the uh, revenue number itself, right? So they, they hit the, the revenue number and they get a bonus. They hit the stretch goal on top of that, they get the bonus. Um, then there's the close rate. You're incentivizing, you're incentivizing a hitting a specific close rate. Then there is the sales rate, which is kind of the, the other other side of that gross profit scenario, right? This this is how how they handle it. So they need to sell their jobs at no less than sixty five dollars an hour in the month of June. If they sell a job and a job receives pushback, AKA they missed some windows and the crew leader goes, I need more hours on this because I need to hit my goals. Mm -hmm. Then giving more hours to that, that crew leader is going to lower that person's sales rate. So by incentivizing the revenue goal, by incentivizing the closing rate and then the sales rate, you're kind of hitting all three facets um, of how we measure success from sales, sales reps. So there's no wrong answer here. There's a mm -hmm. lot of ways to get what you want. Um, I would pick the one that works best for you and your company. Uh, maybe you don't have all the systems in place to track all those different metrics. And you're trying to bring somebody on who really wants a, an uncapped commission structure because they, they want to sell a lot. And maybe maybe the base plus commission structure works for you. Um, is, is it something? Is the compensation plan something that can change over time? Let's say right now you don't have all those metrics in place. Oh, of course. But in, in three years you do, and now you want to change the compensation plan for your rep so that it is. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And transparency is everything. So yeah. tell them that. This is, you know, I, I may want to change the sales structure in the future to something different, but we don't have the means to do that now or the structure or systems. So for the time being, this is the this is the comp plan. Yeah. Cool. So being upfront about that, if, if that's kind of where you see the vision of the company going, just just yeah, like you said, be transparent. Yeah. Give All them, right, so give, people, when it comes to compensation, people like a long runway. It's true. They don't like being shocked, right? So yep. let them let them see it coming. They want to know where they can go with the company. You know, is right. is there potential? Uh, so yeah, being transparent. All right. So we've hit. We've hit, when's the time? We've hit the profile. We've hit the experience, the goals, the compensation. You've got a winner. You've got someone who's ready to join you. Um, what should those first few weeks look like from an onboarding perspective? And then to tie into that further down, what kind of training uh, should this person be going through both even beginning and then in the future? Sure. So the training obviously depends on where this person's coming from, right? Have they sold using your sales system in the past? Maybe their other company also used the Sandler sales system, right? So maybe they don't need a whole lot of training on that, but maybe they do. Or maybe they've sold, sold the exact trade you're selling in the past. So maybe they don't need training. So it depends on, on the experience this person's bringing to the table. Um, regardless, it's gonna I mean most of the training with reps comes from ride-alongs. Uh, the first several weeks should be very ride-along intensive, a lot of window shield time. Um, 
by the end of the first week, they should be doing, or beginning of the second week, they should be doing the estimates alongside you. Um, and then you guys should be comparing when you get back to the truck. Hey, what did you have on this? I had this amount on this. Why did you have that? Here's what you missed, right? That mm -hmm. learning on the, on the job piece is really crucial. So that when you do let someone loose and they are starting to quote customers with actual prices, you have confidence that they're within a certain percentage of where you've been for the past two or three weeks. Um, so if they're, if they're gonna need training on the trade itself, what we like to do is recommend they actually spend a couple of days in the field. Um, so will they you know, work with different crew leader each day for two or so days a week? A lot of sales reps don't wanna work in the field for you know, two weeks straight or for a full week, right? But they'll do it here or there. So maybe two days a week, they're working with a different crew leader. They're earning the respect of the guys that way. They're getting to know everybody. They're getting to know the, the systems that the company uses for production so that they can talk about it from an educated place mm -hmm. if they're actually selling the product, right? So I, I really love that idea. I love them working in the field for a few days. Um, and then the rest of the time, they're riding along with sales reps, going on bids, learning the actual estimating procedure and sales process itself. Uh, within a several weeks, within a month, at the very latest, they should be pretty much on their own, uh, being given the, their uh, sales goals by that point, by, by the second month and uh, expecting to close. I really love that idea as well. You know, working in the field for a few a few days a week for the first couple of weeks, not only, like you said, that they're learning the trade, um, but they're getting to know the team. And in a position where sales in the field don't often, you know, cross paths during the day, maybe they do at the office on occasion, uh, but they can be often working in very different spaces and never really interact. And so from a culture perspective, that's tough. So you can set someone up for success from a culture perspective of getting to, to learn the others um, who are engaged in the success of the business. It can only help the, the overall success of the company. Absolutely. And I will plug uh, just, you know, the training aspect is something that, and I think Colin, you'll agree, it never ends. I mean, Jim Falk at Nolan Painting would tell you, you're, you're never finished. Mm -hmm. uh, we recently did a, just did a podcast with Jim Falk and Andrew Amrine on creating an annual sales business plan. So every sales rep should be looking at their new year and creating a business plan like you would a company plan. And so part of creating that plan is, you know, what trainings are you going to do this year? What books are you going to read? Uh, what are areas of weakness that you want to focus on? Because no one's perfect. Even someone mm -hmm. who's been doing sales for 20 years isn't perfect. There's always something that we all have to work on. We all have some kind of head trash that that's taking up some mental space. Um, so we would, we would encourage that the training never, never truly ends. Absolutely. And that's, you know, just to do a, another plug or two, that's one of the reasons why we have the sales peer groups uh, in, in the summit group, right? Where all the sales reps come together and can round table challenges and uh, hold each other accountable to hitting goals. We also do sales jumpstarts where if someone's brand new to sales, we can take them through a, a three month sales training uh, program uh, done by one of our sales coaches here. Um, so that's another potential resource to people if they're looking to outsource that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we one of the main things at NCG that we do is we live and breathe sales training in many facets, whether it's the Jumpstart programs, the peer groups, 
the podcast that we do, the blogs that we just wrote a blog about, the annual sales business plan uh, in two parts, kind of breaking down what that step, those steps actually look like and the components of them. So there's always more. There's always more that you can can learn and can kind of be contributing to bringing on, growing, growing your sales department, which leads me to in a couple of weeks, Colin, I think we should do a part two. What does looking at hiring a second sales rep look like? Mm-hmm. You know, growing to the team, then ultimately down the road, you need to have a sales manager. I mean, it never truly ends. If, if the vision of your company is to grow and you want to be doing higher revenue and growing your team, there's going to be more positions that come along with that. So I think until until then, is there anything else that you'd like to add, Carl? No, I, uh, I, think, I think we did a good, good, good summary here. Um, focus on on uh, trophies, uh, changing behavior to hit a goal, and can they sell them on on uh, can they sell you on themselves before they sell your product? Put a nice bow on it. Awesome. Well, Carl, thank you for being here uh, with us today, and we will look for part two in a few weeks. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business consulting firm with coaches located around the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.